Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we talk about what to do when the rules change. Ooh, and they change a lot. (laughs) Yes, they do. (laughs) I feel like this subject has come up a little bit recently, but especially with like Silicon Valley Bank and Startup Land and the things that are going on there, the, the rules changing over there. But this is inspired by a conversation I had yesterday talking about a specific I think a specific angle on this, which is is when something I, I think of this like the way sometimes we talk about like when you're an employee and then you go solo and like you can maintain this technician mindset. And we've talked about this concept before, but I love mm-hmm. this the rules angle where like when I was an employee, I was very much a technician mindset in the e myth definition and didn't see any value in like the entrepreneur, the manager, other roles, the two other roles in the business didn't, they're just like leeching off of my genius efforts. <laughs> <laughs> of and, course they were. Right, it never occurred to me to wonder how the work showed up every day without fail on my desk, but Hey, that's just, <laughs> that's just, that happens easily. Right. Sure. So I'll use myself as an example, but I've seen this a, a lot recently where uh, stuff that used to be working isn't working anymore. And when I was like, when I, or when, when I jumped from corporate, it was like, there was this set of rules. Had I gone straight solo, I, I went to an agency, but if I had gone solo, I would have been just doing my, I would have been playing my game that I played at work at Staples. You know, I'd just be like working on my craft. I'd be like, playing that game. If you think about it, like a game that has rules and it's like, okay, the, all of the best practices of developing a FileMaker database for work groups and like all of, all of that stuff. It was like a game that I was playing. And then had I gone solo, I would be still thinking I was the, the way to succeed or to win would be to play those rules even harder, like play that game even better. To be really good at your craft. To be really good at my craft. Like if, as long as I'm cranking out great stuff fast that solves problems for people, they like they would never want to go back to the old way, you know, that kind of thing, like creating mm-hmm. big customer satisfaction in the user base, which I absolutely loved. I loved winning that game. I loved it. Uh, but then had I gone straight solo, I, I would have been lucky if that continued to work because going starting a business is different than being a good filemaker developer obviously when you say it out mm-hmm. loud it's obvious but it's a different game and the rules like yes if i was going solo as a filemaker developer yes i would still need to be good at that game but i'm playing a much bigger game as a business owner that has way more moving parts and it still has rules but they're just different rules it's kind of like you're playing checkers that's the FileMaker stuff. And then now and then now you're playing checkers on a backgammon board. And, <laughs> and you're like, how come I'm losing? Like, why am I losing? And it's like, well, because, you know, you're following the wrong rules. Like another example is, I, I like, I hate to use sports metaphors because I'm not really a sports guy, but I, my brother told me this one once and I love it. Like there's some basketball players in the NBA that are, that are sort of despised because they talk smack and they, they foul people all the time. And they're just like, just jerks basically. Right. So they're, they're kind of like the villains and 
there's sort of two games going on in terms of rules. So like there's the rules, there's the, the one philosophy is if you don't use your four fouls, because in basketball, you can foul people four times before you get kicked out of the game. I think, I think I remember that correct, correctly. I thought it was five, but it could be, I don't know, but I think been a you, while. <laughs> you can, you can foul out of the game, maybe the fifth foul yes. and you get kicked out. Yeah. So a certain kind of player is going to use every single one of those fouls very strategically. And as a, as a kid, when I did used to watch basketball, it would be like, oh, that guy's too aggressive. It's unsportsmanlike. What a jerk. Because that's a different game. The sportsmanship game is a different set of rules. And I, I like the basketball mm-hmm. analogy because they're, the, they're overlaid and they intersect. So you, you, it's almost like you would choose to break the good sportsmanship rules to be better at the basketball rules and use everything at your disposal, even though a foul, because to a kid, I'm like a foul is a punishment. It's like detention, like you did something wrong. But for a basketball player who uses all their fouls, they're like, no, it's just another tool. It's like part of the rules. I can, I can do that if I want. Why wouldn't I? And the reason you wouldn't is because of a different layer of rules, like sportsmanship or values or uh, something like that. Yeah, I like the I like right. thinking of it as the value because one person the big value might be sportsmanship and somebody else is no I want to win. Right. And so if you if if you're young me watching a Celtics game, you know, with I don't know Kevin McHale knocking someone off the court and I'm thinking he's a bad player. I don't know if McHale was like that, but he's the only one I can remember, a bird I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And he's, well, that guy's a, ba- a bad basketball. He's a bad example. He's a, he's a bad person or something like that. And I can imagine him saying back to me, like, dude, you're, lo- you're watching the wrong game. Like, I'm following different rules here. I'm operating by a different set of rules. And anyway, to bring this back to us, it's like, whether you decided to switch to a new game consciously, subconsciously, or the game was changed by somebody else, where you were playing checkers and now you're playing backgammon you're not going to get any satisfaction by playing checkers better. That's the whole point. It's like you the game is different. The rules are different. And if you want to succeed at the new game, you really have no choice but to operate by the new rules or leave the game. Right. Or you can also choose to play backgammon. Like you could look and say, you know what? I've been playing checkers and I want to learn how to play backgammon. So you can do it yes. that way. Yeah. But it, yeah, but it's the, it's all about understanding that it is a new game that the rules have changed. Yes, right. And so the really the really frustrating, angering situation is when you didn't decide to play a new game. <laughs> yeah, and the rules change out from underneath you. We, we're actually both lamenting the you know software that we use to record this, like made a, a change, at the you know, for no obvious reason. And it's like, why did you change that? It's so frustrating when something that you've kind of been counting on, or at least used to, just changes out from underneath you. It's not your fault. Yeah, it just changes. Yeah, but, but yeah. it's the new situation. So yeah, so of course, what you said is, if you find yourself on a backgammon board, play backgammon if you want to win at this... I hate you saying win, but I'm trying to I'm trying to extend the rules metaphor and the game metaphor. Yeah, you, and somebody, I, I, there's also the you know the zero sum game. Like it, just because you win doesn't mean somebody else loses. Mm-hmm. You don't have to look at it that way. Yeah, that's the thing. Backgammon's like a zero sum game. So all all the ones we mentioned are zero sum games. But this doesn't have to be like that. It's whatever winning is for you. You know, like whether it's profit exactly. margin or revenue or uh, status or whatever it is, whatever it is. 
um, that's your, that's your winning. And so if you were playing checkers and you're doing great in terms of whatever your success metrics are, and then all of a sudden, like you're playing checkers as good as you ever have, maybe better, but you're just not getting the results you're, you're losing. And it's like, oh, it's so, it's so frustrating. You know, what just struck me is I feel like when, when somebody criticizes somebody else who's quote unquote famous in their space, mm-hmm. right? The kind of criticism that goes, oh yeah, well, they're doing that, but they also do this. And whatever the this is, is like a bad thing to the, mm-hmm. to the person who's making that comment is maybe one way to tell whether the rules have changed is if you're feeling that way about people who are su- super successful in the space. Oh, yeah. Like it's like not it's it sounds like envy, but it's more about that in that situation that the person making the observation has made a choice that the uber successful person has not or vice versa. And that's when it's interesting to explore and see if there's something you can play with in there. Right. Or a little bit like the fouls thing, like how dare that person be so aggressive on the court? And it's like I'm playing by rules that you've chosen not to play by for other reasons. Yeah, so it gets into the well that that touches on a that touches on an interesting thing. I'm not sure. I'm hesitating cuz I'm not sure if it's really related to the but but about a lot of specialization for example and niching down on a particular market is putting rules on yourself. But I don't I don't think that's relevant in this conversation today. I think the thing about the thing about the conversation today, well let me tell an anecdote. So, uh it got a fellow in Ditcherville who shall remain anonymous, but his business had been going really well the last couple of years, uh, selling digital uh, education type products. And for some reason, for whatever reason, this year, he's been really struggling to hit his numbers, doesn't know what it is, didn't know what it was, but something changed. And it was a bummer, a stressful situation. You know, but he's got a, a particular set of skills and some other folks in the room ha- have similar skills as well. And they're selling uh, like subscription services, which is not something this person had sold before. So he's like, well, let me shake things up a little bit and try something different. It's not, it's not exactly, it's nothing like the packages he has been selling, but it's the exact same expertise. And he just packaged it in this different way that, um, that was was very successful for these other people, and sure enough, <laughs> he immediately <laughs> got, uh, got got a customer like it, within a week, and it's a high ticket sale, so it's you know it's it's great news. But what I'm getting at is like something changed, some rules changed, like something in the market changed. He wasn't doing anything differently, but something changed, and like he's playing checkers better than ever, but the board was different somehow. And so it wasn't a pivot at all. It was more of a, you know, he didn't do a pivot. He just shook up his offerings and said, well, you know, some other folks that are slightly different disciplines are packaging up that kind of, you know, typing semicolons expertise in this way that's attractive to the seller and to the buyer. And sure enough, you know, one day he's having a hard time selling a $49 ebook. The next day he's selling like an almost $10,000 a month subscription. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm giving anything away, but no, but what I love about that situation is that is that this guy was brave enough to experiment. 
right? Because it would be easy to say, oh, yeah, I can't sell a $50 ebook, so I guess I can't sell anything. <laughs> yeah, Instead, that's how you he feel. goes, yeah, I'm looking at these people, they're selling this expensive thing. I might as well try it. Mm-hmm. What do I have to lose? And boom. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I liked his mindset and his willingness to experiment because it would be really easy to be an Eeyore when, you know, you have that kind of experience. It's it's hard to just turn it around and take a big leap like that. It's a real it's a real blow to your confidence when all this, you know, the the reoccurring revenue that you're used to getting every month just goes down, down, down. And like, geez, what am I doing wrong? I'm doing everything the same. I don't think I changed anything. And then that human instinct a lot of time is, oh, I guess I better slash my prices. Yes. It's got to be about the price. It has to be about the price because everybody knows that this is a great thing. It must just be they don't have enough money to spend on this right now, mm-hmm. which is like a race to the bottom. Yeah. And and so this person did exactly what I would recommend someone does. If, if you're feeling the urge to cut prices on something, you you can do that. I mean, obviously you can do it. It's not necessarily, you know, sometimes I even recommend it. If you're experimenting with a new productized service and you have raised the price every time you sold it, you double it, double it, double it, or, or whatever, increase it by 60% every single time you sell it. And then you get to a point where all of a sudden the demand completely falls off a cliff. Then, okay, <laughs> go back down a notch. But yeah. if you've been selling something at a price and you make any kind of significant, significant, cut to it just because you you're acting out of a place of uh, fear you know i'm not talking about you know lowering something into a charm price from like a thousand dollars to 9.99 i'm talking about like a thousand to 500 mm-hmm. you know cutting it in half and it probably probably what i would recommend in a situation like that is to introduce something new exactly like this person did and it's not even not even at all this is the most expensive thing he sells now Right. So it's like it's not even that you need to introduce something at a lower price. But let's say let's say you sell something for twenty five thousand dollars and it's been selling And last year. It was selling fine. This year it hasn't sold at all. And it's November. I I would really not want that person to cut the price to, you know, twelve thousand. Same sell the same thing for twelve thousand. Mm-hmm. I would I would much rather see them come up with something brand new for twelve thousand. Yeah. Or for fifty thousand or for. 1500 just find a place in your product ladder that has a gap and put something in it and bring that offer to the market and play with that it's i mean i get that it's so much easier to just go to your sales page and <laughs> edit it yeah. cut the price in half <laughs> yeah, that's very easy yeah but it's like i think it's seth godin that says you know cutting prices is the last refuge of the bad marketer it sends all the wrong signals it probably won't work anyway it's just not great. Like, can you do it? Yes. Is it an emergency? Okay, do it. But you could instead, you could say like, well, what, let me think back. What have people maybe been asking for? Or what, when they say no to this, how do they say no? What are the words they, what are the objections to spending this? Is it a cash flow thing? Is it a risk thing? Could I, could I combat those? Could I reverse those objections by creating a a different, more tailored offer? Could I offer some kind of a guarantee? Uh, there's all these all these different things you could play with to uh, get the sale, but it's like, but what are the, what is the new way that you could package your expertise up and bring it, this new thing to the market and not have to slash your prices or think about getting a job job or, you know, just throwing in the towel, right. Right. Getting, getting demoralized. 
Well, and I think there's another thing that you can do too, which is you can take the price off of your website for a thing. And then, you know, you can have a value pricing conversation. So maybe sometimes you sell it for 15,000 and sometimes you sell it for 30. Great point. Um, I I like that because it gives you some flexibility. And especially if your audience are big corporates, Mm -hmm. you know, they're used to that kind of conversation. So, I mean, it doesn't bother them not to see a price on the website. Right. Yeah, that's, it's true. It makes the sale a little bit more complicated, but it gives you more wiggle room to make the deal happen or to find out or make something custom. Yeah. Even when I sold back in the day when I was doing mobile strategy and I was selling monthly retainers, it was, it was a productized service, but the investment, the fee was high enough that I think without exception, clients wanted to talk to me and customize it, which is sort of a sort of taboo for productized services. Uh, but they were so, you know, I'd only ever have two or three. It wasn't a, wasn't a, all things considered, it wasn't really a great productized service because I couldn't scale past like three clients at a maximum. So I always ended up with like two whales, but, uh, it was, it was great, great money at the time it was we're on easy street, basically no kids yet. <laughs> <laughs> Changes everything. Yeah, no kids, two incomes. And uh, so point being, even though that was a productized service, it gave me the wiggle room, you know, to like have a conversation with the buyer and say like, well, you know, how much travel is really going to be involved or, you know, or is it going to be, okay, no travel involved or uh, just domestic or, uh, or they would want, sometimes they would want like um, some kind of recurring meeting. There would be like little things that they might want you know, maybe fly to the headquarters for a kickoff. But other than that, it'll be remote. So I would, uh, I would be open to basically negotiation. Yeah. Flex up, flex down. Right. Right. And give them options, even though it was published, even though the price was on the site. So that's a great point is to just take the prices off and see if, uh, and just get more feedback, have more conversations with people before presenting them with the price. And then customize it based on the perceived value in the particular customer. Well, because, you know, one of the things that's great about productized services is that the selling is so simple. You want one of those? Okay, sold. (laughs) And um, so you don't tend to have these kinds of value conversations. You don't tend to really dig into why they want this, what they want to change. I mean, sometimes it, it, you know, it depends on the service. But when you take that price off and you force yourself to have that value conversation, you will start to learn how your productized service is actually positioned in the minds of your ideal clients, Mm -hmm. how they see it, like what's the value in this? What does it do for them? And that gives you incredible data on pricing if you want to go back to making it a flat price. And whether it's the the data on how to price it or it's exactly who you target it to, maybe you're casting your net a little bit too wide Mm -hmm. and you want to add one or two client qualifiers to get this thing at a particular price. It's just a great way to get data. Right, yeah, because the downside of, of the productized service lack of sales call is that you're just getting no feedback to why people aren't buying. Yeah, it's just like this black hole. Yeah, there's just no feedback. They just don't buy. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a really, that's, you know what I love about that? That is just as easy as slashing your prices, but it's not slashing your prices. So you just take the prices off and put, you know, like, let's talk about your project or whatever your call to action is. Let's jump on a, a call and see if we're a good fit. And yeah, just switch into conversation mode into, into sales interview mode. Well, I think it also takes a sort of pressure off of us. Uh, not, I don't know if pressure is that right word. It's we start to think about, oh yeah, if I'm going to do that thing, that's $50,000. I'm not going to do it for less than 50000 Like we have this like price in our head. And if we start to really, when we start to really connect that with the value that we're delivering, all of a sudden you can say, oh, so I could see where I could provide something that's like this for $25,000, but I'm working less and delivering this level of value or, oh, you know, 50 is really underpriced. If I focus on this segment of my potential clients, then it's really more like 75 or 100. It's until you get that, it's it's really important to decouple what we see as our worth. <laughs> God, I hate that word. It's yes. so loaded with I know. judgment. I know. But yeah, how we see our worth versus the value that we're delivering, the transformation that we're delivering to our clients. Yeah, I love that. Right. It's like take, take a, uh, well, I actually did this recently. I was like, I was like, you know, there's a big, huge, enormous jump between the two top most expensive things you could buy for me. Like one was 2,500 and one is 25,000. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's got to be something I could do for people in between, like people who want something in between. So I, I took my $25,000 thing and I took out the costliest piece to me, which I think is, is valuable definitely to the buyer. But if I take it out, which would be like you know, if I take out the recurring biweekly meetings from my private coaching, if I take that out and it's all asynchronous, mm-hmm. my costs go way down in terms of uh, in terms of my time investment or my my calendar getting blocked out, uh, and so I can charge like less than half. Like you know, I think I'm selling it for forty forty five hundred or for six months, so it's in between or seventy five hundred mm-hmm. for a year, right? So, but it's. It's not as valuable. It's not, it's definitely not going to be as valuable to people as being able to talk to me on the phone for an hour every other week. Like that accountability call is very important, but it's also very expensive. Right. So if you take that out and there's a certain type of person who doesn't need an accountability call, let's say, and they're like, oh, well, here's a version. It's the same thing without the calls. Yeah. And, and I can, you know, so maybe if you're, if you're listening to this and you've got, maybe you've had like a particular offering that you've had for a long time and, and like Michelle said, like, oh, maybe one of the things you're thinking is cutting the price. What if you, just like you said, take out something that's very costly to you that would allow you to still feel like, uh, still feel like it was worth you, you know, you're getting paid what you're worth, air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but call it a new thing. It's like a new thing. It's, it's like a new rung in between two rungs on your product ladder, let's say. Like, look for where there's a hole and, and you could perhaps fill it by modifying something and calling it something else. Yeah, I, I do. I prefer that. And I like the, the sort of psychological value to you of you, the, the, the person making this change in that, because it, it's not just, it's not you focused. Right. It's not, oh, I'm not good enough to do this. Everybody else is doing 
that and I'm I'm not, you know, it gets you away from that and just focuses right. on what we're what we're supposed to be focused on. How can we deliver value to our ideal clients and buyers in a way that allows us to work, you know, as much time as humanly possible in our genius zone. Right. Yeah. And so if people aren't buying the old thing, I mean, whatever changed, they're just not seeing the value. I mean, yeah. bottom line. Yeah. So it's like, okay, let's get to shake things up. I, I feel like one of the things, I don't think it's just me. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people, at least in Ditcherville, uh, I don't think people are innovating as much as they could uh, uh, in general for these kinds of businesses. It's like you come up with something, it starts to work. It's easy to be like, oh, this is working great. This worked. You know, or it doesn't work mm -hmm. and then you just try something else. And then something, when something does work or a few things start to work, it can get really easy to be like, cool, this will never change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so tempting, right? right? It's like, oh, okay, we'll just rake in the money from this thing and sit back and relax and, right. you know, have fun. Until I just, until if and when I decide I'm sick of doing this particular thing and I'll maybe try something else. Uh, but it is especially when, so let's, let's say you create a couple of products and services, maybe three or four or whatever that are working and, and you're still working on the business. You're doing marketing, you're doing podcasts, you're writing a, a mailing list, you're on YouTube, you're doing all of these, you're doing stuff like you're working on the business. That's not, that's not really innovate. I, I wouldn't really, some of it is, I mean, sometimes you can get a new idea through your writing and that could create an idea for a new course or something, but it's, it's like, a, that's like a side effect. I feel like there should be a little bit more. I certainly myself, I could put a little bit more regularity into creating new workshops or creating new writing, new things or new videos or whatever, and do more innovation, more experimentation, uh, have more failures because the more failures to have, you're going to, the more wins you're going to have. And perhaps it's these times when you kind of like the world punches you in the stomach and says like, people just aren't seeing the value right now, then okay, okay, let me innovate. Let me create something that's a hybrid of two other things, or let me package my expertise in a dramatically different way at a dramatically different price. You know, it's like, it, it's probably something that, uh, sort of talking to myself at this point, it's probably something I, I could do more. And I think, I think most of the people in Ditcherville don't innovate that much. It's interesting because when when we sell expertise, the word innovate or innovation doesn't come up that often. Like think about it. It's something you hear when you're making a thing or you're making technology yeah, or you're making a product. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't apply to our kinds of businesses. And I think that um, certainly when circumstances change, you know, the mother of invention, <laughs> it's time to innovate. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. And I feel the same way about, you know, I, I usually have at least one experiment a year, you know, could I do two? Yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's it's an interesting thing to think about. And a lot of people are doing their planning now. So it's a yeah. good question to add to the mix. And well, I always say one of the questions you should always ask yourself when you're planning is what do I want to be different next year? Hmm. And, you know, it's easy to focus on the little stuff, but I think innovation says well, maybe there's something bigger that I mm -hmm. could think about. And yeah. it doesn't mean you have to put all your marbles on it. 
But, you know, starting the experimentation process like your Ditcherville member can prove really profitable. Right, right. Uh, do we want to go? That might be make a good follow-up show, like examples of, of innovations that we've seen from people we know in the kind of authority-based business space, especially soloists. Because um, I can think of a few novel things that, um, that aren't obvious. That, you know, for example, like putting a, putting a bunch of time into creating some kind of a research report, periodic benchmarking, uh, benchmarking your clients. The, the, we could probably make a list of 10 things that are not obvious things that someone could experiment with. Masterminds is another, another one. Membership communities. Those, those are maybe a little bit more obvious. Anyway, if, you, if that sounds interesting, you can email me. <laughs> <laughs> We're always looking for a new idea for a show. Yeah. What is this, episode 306? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need the ideas. Yes, ideas are always good. What else What else do we have to say about this when the rules? If we're thinking about rules. Well, I think, you know, what would be sort of interesting, and I'm actually thinking I'm going to do this myself after we talk. I like this mm-hmm. idea, is what would be interesting is to kind of jot down, like, what do, what do you think the rules are mm-hmm. for you? And, you know, some of this relates to like money mindset, you know, people think, oh, I can't, you know, if if I make more than $100,000 a year, uh, I'm a bad person, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, money is going to tempt me and yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, But if you really think about like, what do I think are the rules of the game? And especially the rules that start with, I can't, you know, fill in the blank. Mm. And I guarantee everybody's got some. And if you think about it for a little while, it might be interesting to have sort of the, the the rules that you think apply. And when I say you think, I'm also talking about your values. So it's not just what you think, it's what you live. There's right. some things that you probably don't want to do. Like so you might say, I'm not working 70 hours a week right. to do this thing. And all that's perfectly valid. But I would write those down and then look at the challenges on the business side, like what things are not moving, what used to be successful and now isn't. Mm-hmm. Right? What are people telling you? Uh, if you're not having those kinds of conversations, then you will if you take the price off your website. What are they <laughs> yeah. telling you about the benefit that they're going to get, the transformation? How do they value that in in their own business or life? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting exercise to go through. I'm like just sort of like trying to do it in my head. yeah (laughs) it's like oh what are the because we you know uh i mean i I think both of us are are not super duper rule followers i mean we're certainly on a on a on a non-traditional path in life right so perhaps maybe it's not maybe rules isn't the right to a certain extent i almost want to say we're maybe have a higher risk tolerance than other people but i really don't think it's that because i see this path as the safer one but anyway uh, if you imagine that we're not super duper rule followers, we were, before the show we were like, we probably follow a million rules that we don't even know about. <laughs> so the the idea of surfacing that on a piece of paper is pretty interesting because then you can look at it and say, well, which one? What are the rules that I'm? So I I sort of like the idea of writing down the rules that you think you're following or the ones that you're you're, yeah. you're aware of that you're following and maybe trying to dig up some ones that like you said mindset things that maybe you're you're following and then look at them and be like why am I doing this like like should this have an expiration date on it should this 
way of being have expired years ago? Am I just yeah. following this for, for no obvious reason? Because I'll bet you they're in there. I'll bet you there's, de- you know, there's, yeah. there's got to be. And you can also identify, you know, your values in there. Like, you know, I think it's really hard for me to criticize on a public platform somebody. Like, mm-hmm. it's really hard for me to do that. And it's not that I don't have the thoughts. I absolutely do. <laughs> <laughs> I can sit here and give you the five things, right? Uh-huh. But it's I, it, there's a part of me that likes to be um, upbeat and uplifting. And so... Yeah, don't have but, something good to say. Yeah, but but then what what does that mean for, for a business? Well, it means that I'm not going to take on a, a big kahuna in the space who I think is is going off in a weird direction. Right. Yeah. Like... Oh, well, maybe I should. So it's, and again, I use that word should, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have used should. (laughs) But, but that's what's helpful about it. When you look at those things and you, and you can say, oh, I want to keep this. I like the fact that I do this this way. Mm -hmm. It's really important to me. It's part of who I am. Great. But there's probably some stuff in there that you could change without really thinking about it too much. Yeah, exactly. It's very hard for me to even focus on the conversation because now I'm trying to make the You're list. You're doing the exercise, I try right? not to do the exercise, but my brain wants to. So maybe maybe the listener maybe, is feeling the same maybe way. Maybe we need to stop so that they can, they can do this too. But I do have to add one other thing because the basketball uh, thing was really bugging me. So I looked it up. So okay. it is five in high school and college and it's six fouls in the NBA. Six? Jeez. Yeah. I know. I didn't think. I th- I kept thinking that it's four. I said five, but I'm like, isn't it four? Like, isn't it high school and college uh, at four? And then, so yeah, I looked it up. It's five and six. Well, ap- apologies to the basketball fans <laughs> in the audience who have been screaming. <laughs> I know. At their, like, <laughs> at their how home. dumb could we be? Right. right. Yeah. In, yeah. In case you were wondering if I was just kidding about the fact that I'm not into sports ball. Uh, cool. All right. So that's uh, maybe that's enough. To <laughs> we're going to go make our rules list now. We're going to go make our rules list. Exactly. Cool. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>